We pray. Holy Spirit of light, shine upon our hearts, open our minds, that we may receive your word and that may take root within us and yield a bountiful harvest to the blessing of all. In your holy and sacred name we pray. Amen. The gospel for this day is found in the gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning with the 20th verse. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Humanity. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. You have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. May the words in my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be blessed in your sight, O Creator, O Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. On the back of my partner's car is a bumper sticker that reads, Vote Democratic. We're imperfect, but they're nuts. <laughs> In just a few days, an election will decide which wins, imperfect or nuts. In our text for today, Jesus looks at our imperfect world and says something which seems nuts. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping. Blessed are you when people hate you. In fact, love those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the weeping. Blessed are the hated. That's nuts. What reality is Jesus living in? Jesus has a foot in two realities. 
the reality that's imperfect, which we see all around us, where people starve and weep. And another reality in which those who have nothing have everything, in which hate and abuse are the doorway to love and peace, in which we treat others, even our enemies, as we would have them treat us. It seems nutty. But Jesus says that those who live from this reality are more blessed than those who seem to have it all. Now, this alternate reality is known by different names. Kingdom of God, enlightenment, communion of saints. Whatever we call it. This is the key choice of our lives. Which reality is ultimate? Which will we identify as home? Which will we live from? As I was thinking about the sermon and, and working through it, I had a book literally a fall on me. <laughs> I was at a, having a, a day retreat at Santa Sabina in uh, San Rafael, and I was in the art room, and I came across this book in the art room and started to read it. And it's a memoir from Andrew Harvey called Sun at Midnight. And the very first pages in the book crystallized for me what Jesus is saying and made it come alive for me. So I wanted to share with you this story about his encounter with a tour guide in Jerusalem as they went to the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what he writes. I am a fierce, unhappy, intellectual 28-year-old, still uneasy with all things mystical, stalking in old jeans and cheap army boots around Jerusalem. My guide to the, old, to the mysteries of the old city is Isaiah a plump, bald, Israeli poet and mystic who looks, as he himself says often, like a semi-sunburnt frog <laughs> and who has, over two days, become a friend. Today, he's wearing bright red sneakers and a short-sleeved Hawaiian shirt with great orange suns on it. I look, and just beyond the end of the sleeve on his bare arm, are faded black numbers. He begins to speak in a low, even voice I had not heard him use before. Yes, I was in Auschwitz as a child from 9 to 13. I don't know how or why I survived, but I do know what I learned. In Auschwitz, I discovered that there was one thing I was even more afraid of than death. The terror of love. Of love's embrace of all things, all beings, all events. Everyone pretends that they want to know and experience love, but to know and experience love is to die to all your private fantasies and agendas your ideas of 
right and wrong, even good and evil. Everyone who comes to that death is dragged to it, kicking and cursing and screaming and weeping tears of blood just as Jesus was. I was 12 years old. It was midwinter. I was in despair. My mother, father, and sister had all starved to death. I knew by then that the chances of surviving or being saved were very slim. There was a guard who was particularly sadistic. He used to beat me with a leather strap until I bled. I was only 12. What did I know about anything, about God? All I knew was that I had to decide once and for all whether the horror I saw all around me was the ultimate reality or whether the joy and tenderness I could still feel stirring inside me was the truth. I knew they couldn't both be the truth. If the horror of the camp was the reality about human nature and life, then what was stirring in my heart was some sort of mad joke. And if what was stirring in my heart was real, then it was the horror that was the mad joke. I thought about this for months. Thought is too polite a word. I, I bled about this. I wept over it. I wrestled with it as Jacob must have struggled for his life. I struggled like an angel for my life. I had to know, or I would drown in darkness. For the first time, I started to pray. My prayer, which I began to repeat at every moment, was only four words. Show me the truth. Nothing came. Not a single insight, not a single vision, no dream with any comforting angel, nothing at all. But I went on praying more and more desperately. And then, early one winter morning, I heard a quiet voice say to me, you must decide. What did it mean? For a week, I wrestled with this. What could the voice mean? How could I, a child, decide the truth of the universe? Was this the devil laughing at me? Was I God in disguise? My mind whirled with the maddest of thoughts. Slowly, I began to understand. I understood that I was always free to decide whether the world I was being shown was a real one or whether the world I felt in my heart was the truth. And when I thought about it, the second choice was even more frightening than the first. What if love was the real choice? 
Would I have to love the guard who had beaten me? Would I have to forgive the apparatus that had killed my parents and hundreds of thousands of others? Would I even have to forgive, in some mysterious way, God himself for having allowed such horrors to take place? Then one morning, I awoke. And I knew quite simply what I had to do. I had to choose what was at the bottom of my heart. The fire I felt there when I thought of my mother, or our cat at home, or the flowers and vegetables in our kitchen garden. So I went out into the camp, the yard covered with snow, with the gray, lowering, hopeless sky overhead. And closing my eyes, I screamed with my whole being silently, I choose love. I choose love. I choose love. And then it happened. When I opened my eyes, a sun not of this world was blazing in glory all around me. The snow along the barbed wire glistened like diamonds, and the air was sweet like a cold apple against my cheek. The guard I hated at that moment came out of another building, smoking a cigarette. He didn't see me, but I saw him, and this was the miracle. I felt no fear at all, and no hatred. Only a burning pity that scalded my eyes with tears. I did not feel vulnerable as I had feared. This thing in me that was crying was stronger than anyone or anything I had ever encountered. It or, or he felt like a column of fire within me that nothing could put out. Somehow, I survived for another year until release came. This fire in my chest did not leave. It has never left. I have tried to live from it, breathe from it, and act from it. My traveling friend, I, I doubt if we will meet again. You are leaving tomorrow, continuing your journey. And I am in the last stages of cancer. I am not afraid. The glory is here always. I see it with open eyes every day. And I am not unique. There are thousands, maybe millions of us all over the world of all kinds, classes, sexes, and religions. The glory gave me life. And it has now given me death. But through another death, long ago, it gave me a life beyond all dying. And it is into that life that I am now going. So before we leave, remember always three things. Forgive me for being so rabbinical and in such a Hawaiian shirt and with such sneakers. 
but write these down in that little book of yours. These three things. Pain can be terrible beyond any human description, but it is transient. Bliss is eternal. Evil is real, but only in its dimension that includes this world. The glory shines forever here and everywhere in a way evil cannot stain or defeat. Horror has its day or year or decade or century. The sun of love has never and will never set. And while we're at it, here's a fourth. Whatever you have to go to, whatever you have to go through, to know this love beyond any shadow of a doubt is worth it. In just two days, we have an election. Yes, it's finally going to happen, and yes, it's finally going to end. And for so long, on the surface of things, it has seemed like the only reality. But another election season is at hand that invites us to look beyond the surface of things. Do you see the glory all around us? Can you feel that column of fire within you? That's the reality of Jesus. A reality where the poor and weeping are more blessed than the rich and carefree because they have chosen this love. A love that blesses enemies. A love so strong that it keeps us connected even beyond death. And yes, a love that alone can heal a divided nation. In this life, imperfection, pain, and evil are real. But will you make love your ultimate reality? Will you elect love to govern your life? Will you do whatever you have to do to know this love beyond any shadow of a doubt? That's the real election. What do you choose?